Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. What we're asking people to think about is how long should a career be? That's the question that you have to answer, not whether or not you should be working or not working. It's how long should a career be? And so when we came up and we started thinking about that, we came up with a round number of 15 years. And that's mostly based on the accepted levels of tenure that we apply everywhere else in our society. Mm -hmm. We say that for early education, roughly takes about 12 years to get the basics of how things work. If you want a graduate degree or a specialized degree, okay, that's another four years, maybe eight if you want to be like a neurosurgeon, right? If you're married, around year seven is about the time where things start to get a little, you know, iffy, like that's an eternity. And if you meet somebody who's been married more than 15 years, like, damn, like, <laughs> wow, good on you, right? And so careers should be held in that same vein where it's like, how long are you agreeing to participate in this power dynamic? You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, 
and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. All right, y'all. So we have some repeat guests on the show, and and y'all are in a really elite group of people because we don't do that that often. And it's just because I feel like part of my responsibility as somebody in this space is to continuously introduce folks who y'all don't know about to the money conversation. And that's why I love what y'all do, because you are out here unapologetically inviting us into quitting. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm here for it. So we got on the show today, Julian and Kirsten of the Rich and Regular Platform and new authors of the forthcoming book, Cashing Out, a revolutionary financial and career path to break free from corporate America's grasp, make peace with your finances, and build wealth on your own terms. Welcome to the podcast, y'all. So excited to have you back. Thank you. We're so excited to be back. It feels like I've been on here several times. I think we've (laughs) just worked together so often. It's like, oh, I just saw you. But that was for something completely different. (laughs) Yeah. We're so excited to be here. So you guys are coming out of your book cave. And I think there's been a lot of exciting developments for both of you since the last time that we talked. So I know you're now hosting your own podcast. You have written this book. And I want to know, first and foremost, was this part of the plan? Like, were you all out here just always plotting and planning to take over the financial independence space? Or like, how did this come about? I love you. Because, um, <laughs> like, that's a great question. It kind of was, but it wasn't. Like, it's not like we said, oh, we're going to take over the space. But we certainly, I'm going to just be honest, we, we walked into the space. We've been outsiders, like I think a lot of people are for a really long time. And we just kept asking these questions. Well, why don't they just do this? Or why don't they do that like this? Or why aren't they talking to these people? Or why would this person use that example? And after a while, like that entrepreneurial spirit kicks in and it's like, like if you want to see it done a certain way or spoken to a particular community, like that's actually where you come in, right? right. I'm not going to ask, you know, insert my top three to five creators at the time to say, start doing things my way. And so I said, you know what? We should just do it ourselves. And in terms of writing a book, I will say that that was certainly something that had been on my bucket list for as long as I can remember, I think the same for Kirsten when we met. We that's one of the things that we bonded on was just our love for writing. I had no idea it was gonna be about money. Or know, this soon. Or this soon. <laughs> that was not part of the I'll certainly say that. Like we <laughs> wanted it to happen probably two to three years after it happened, but the universe, as they say, <laughs> has other plans. Had other plans. Yes. Uh, not, listen, it's been a long and if I'm being honest, exhausting but worthwhile journey. And yeah. Anna, you're getting ready to join that journey. Oh, so God. Pray for me, well. y'all. <laughs> we already have. Um, but it's, yeah, it was it was a part of it, right? Because look, at the end of the day, one of our biggest insights was that like you cannot create mass change without mass media. And the kind of change that I want to see is change that feels natural to people. Like I want to get to the core of what motivates people. And I just want these tips, this insight, this perspective to be a part of their everyday life as opposed to this thing that they just kind of dabble into every now and then or like right now where it feels like personal finance and money is like a hobby that some people have and the rest of the world doesn't. Like I want Mm. to be mindful or or like deeply embedded into the minds and the hearts of so many people. So we couldn't do that without mass media. So we're, we're glad that we were able to do some of the things that we're doing. That's fantastic. And you speak about motivation. So I want to start there. What was the initial motivation for you to learn about the FIRE movement and then start lending your voice into the space first through a blog and now through all these other different projects that you've created? Yeah. So I think the initial motivation was different for both of us. For Julian, he was, it was kind of a natural progression. He had already been interested in real estate investing and he learned about the fire movement through real estate investors. They were like, this is why I have so many doors is because I eventually want to stop working and live off this passive income. And then for me, it was the motivation actually came after our honeymoon. That was the first time I had taken two weeks off in, I couldn't remember how long, probably since I graduated college, but I don't even think that's accurate because I went straight to work. It was the first time I had taken that much time off and it was getting to know each other and ourselves and really just audit where we were in our lives that made me want more of that. Where it's like, man, I shouldn't have to like plan this out, 
two years in advance, have to do something as life-changing as get married in order to experience this feeling. Because, you know, if you're in corporate America, there's only a couple of times you can ask for two to three weeks off without your boss looking at you crazy. Mm -hmm. It's like bereavement, marriage, maternity and paternity. And near death experience. Yeah, like there's not a wide range of things. It usually requires a life-changing milestone. And I wanted access to that feeling whenever I wanted access to that feeling. And fire became the only kind of viable pathway that I saw getting me there early. So that was my motivation. And I think Julian shared that with me, but he had like the inkling even before that. Yeah. And and I'll be brief because I don't, I don't want to get ahead into the conversation. I don't know where we'll go. I'm sure you'll ask some great questions. But it, for me, it was also the juxtaposition of learning about the fire movement and thinking about the long-term implications of the impact that it would have on the workplace. But then looking at that and being someone that's very passionate about things that are happening within my community, and by that I mean specifically the Black community, I was like, man, if there's one thing that I could ask Black professionals, those who tend to be those that are earning the most, the most educated, like, how do we not squander this moment? These opportunities where we are, are there's so much on our, our backs in terms of what we want to do for our families and ourselves and all those things. How do we just make the most of these moments? And I was like, actually, like one of the best things we could do is kind of replicate some of the things that we were seeing over here. And by here, I mean like this fire movement, because it was a very, very white space when we found it like in the early 2010s. And so I was like, all right, there's actually a lot that we can learn from these folks, particularly given the stubborn ceiling that's been put over our heads in corporate America. And I was like, you know what? You shouldn't be planning to be here for that long anyway. How do we make sure that we can make the most out of our careers, out of our youth, not just to build wealth, but also just to preserve the family structure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that perspective. And I think it speaks to something that I've encountered a lot when I talk about financial independence to Latinx community. It's just this idea of first off, like, that's a very privileged thing to ask people to do, given the fact that we are typically at the lower end of the pay scale, especially mm-hmm. if you're a woman of color. It's just like, how the hell am I going to save $1.5 million when I'm getting like minimum fucking wage? So how do you have those conversations in a way that takes the nuance into account so that folks don't feel like you're coming at them preachy? Because I think that's a, kind of what we see a lot of the financial independence and just personal finance in general. It's very much like soapbox type of conversations where you are not where you should be because you're just not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things, first of all, we welcome the conversation and the criticism. We recognize that there's not a single idea that everybody believes in the exact same way in the world. And so like, this isn't going to be the hill that I die on. You're welcome to disagree. But what I like to do is enter those conversations with curiosity And so we've learned to ask a lot of questions back. A lot of times people are just repeating things that they've heard their entire lives. Like that's conditioning, right? And if you are a marginalized identity, you've been conditioned to believe and not believe in things your entire life. And so the idea that being able to stop working at some point, being a privileged stance is something that I'm curious about. Like, what do you mean by privileged? What makes this more privileged than, say, you know, insert other example here? What if you thought about income differently than you think about wages? What if you thought about the ability to sell the same skill that you sell to your employer for $7.50 to a creator who needs a virtual assistant for $18 an hour? What if you thought differently? Would that change your mind a little bit? What if you could teach other VAs to do what you do? And now you have an agency that makes six figures a year. It's just questions. And again, it's not from the sense of like a cult or a religious entity where the prize is that I convert you into my way of thinking. My goal is just to challenge you and maybe expand your way of thinking a little bit to the point where you might try something different. If what you're doing isn't working enough to the point where you would come to wherever I'm speaking or discover whatever platform I'm on sharing my message, then there's got to be something there. There's some there there, as my colleague used to say. There's something there. There's something that led you here. Because I'm not, you know, on the street shouting at you like the, the, the cults do. I'm not handing out pamphlets. You came to where I'm at. I just think that more of us would do better by approaching those with curiosity and, and questions without trying to convert people. You have anything to add, Julian? I see you nodding. Mm, I know. <laughs> 
I mean, I, I you know I can always interject, but I'll I'll stop there. <laughs> she covered it. No, I, I think it's fair, right? I think it's a fair ask of folks to just be open-minded to the possibility that what you were told about money is not the only option. I think the first emotion that I felt when I found out about fire was I was pissed. I'm like, how the fuck y'all having this conversation out here? And I didn't know shit about this. How come I didn't know that this was an option? Right? So if that's like your first reaction, if you're just like, oh, this is bullshit. You know, I can't believe people are doing this. What a nice thing, you know, must be nice. That conversation- It's, Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 go ahead. Wild because I'm still having those reactions. I just learned about overemployment, which is basically people working multiple remote jobs at once. And my immediate thought is like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> and my immediate thought is it's not possible. It's not. And then they're all explaining like, it totally is. Like, yeah, you get in a routine, you do this, that, and the other. Of course it's possible. And then I'm like, what? Well, now I'm pissed because I could have been doing this. Oh, <laughs> people have been doing this since well before the pandemic. And it's like, I never thought about that. So it's just being open to the idea that wealth building in today's times is completely different than your parents or whoever taught you about wealth building. Like it's Mm -hmm. different. There are new currencies. There is new platforms. There are new indexes. Like it's all different. And respectfully, it's never been easier, right? Mm. You have to be confident saying those things even knowing that by saying that you're going to piss some people off, right? Like I hear you. Some people are going to say, oh, it's easy for you. And it is. It's easy for me and it's easier for me for several reasons. But that doesn't mean that it's never been easier, right? The moment that we're in right now is the easiest that it's ever been for people to build wealth like immediately. You can literally start in a number of minutes so long as you have a phone and an internet connection. And so that's that's the world that we live in. I try to just focus on the positive, especially these days. And so when people come at us and they're like a little negative or they feel like we're being dismissive or not addressing the full breadth of all of the issues that actually make it challenging for some people, like I also have the benefit of being able to put this in historical perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And not to get into a Black History Month lesson, but within the Black community, there's always been this idea which was built or if I'm not mistaken, started by W.E.B. Du Bois, this idea of the talented 10th, those who are able, the 10% of the whole who have the access, who have the capital, who have the power, the means and education, they also have a responsibility to help move the collective forward, right? We've never been in 100% agreement about what to do and how to get to let's just call it the promised land, right? So this is not the first time. And so when we get that feedback, we take it as feedback. We make sure to ask questions because there's a lot that we don't know. And one of those questions is also, well, you tell me, what else is out there? Because I've seen this idea. And when I look at the win percentage of the people who are living below their means, self-investing, starting a business, like those people are here winning. Conversely, when I look at those of us who are continuing to bust our asses, at jobs and everybody thinks they got next and all they get is more responsibility and they just get more upset. And quite honestly, they don't even factor in, we haven't even started to talk about the negative effect on our bodies and our mental health from being in these types of environments, what you become trained to believe if you continue to accept this type of treatment, right? If you accept this power imbalance between employer and employees, if you accept that over long stretches of time, what impact that has on your mental health, your ability to relate to your partner, but also how to raise your child, what you pass on to a child, right? So all of those things I think are important and we factor those in, but I think you can cut through a lot of the judgment by just asking more questions and say, well, you tell me what's working really, really well in your world. Because what I see is this, and therefore I'm an advocate for it. That makes a lot of sense. You know, one of the things that I didn't realize was so intricately tied to the fire movement was the ability to earn outside of your nine to five, right? I think when a lot of folks are introduced to fire, they are just told, you know, like reduce your expenses, become frugal, invest the excess, keep getting raises, fight for the promotions, do all of the things. And I think for me, when I realized the switch in my brain was when I stopped looking at my fire number as this like $1.5, $2 million thing, I was like, how do I get to a place where I can cash flow my expenses on a monthly basis? Like, why am I not thinking about like the $10,000 month instead of the $2 million portfolio, right? Because then it makes it more 
real. It's like I can envision like creating ten thousand dollars a month. Yeah, two million dollars is a lot to think about. Like, how am I going <laughs> to get there, right? And so, can you talk about how you started making the connection between entrepreneurship and your own personal fire journey? We actually tell that story in our book. And so at the time, this was around 2015, 2016, and I was, I think we already had one rental property and we had plans on turning our then primary residence into our second rental. And this was in the early stages of influencer marketing. And we, and by we, I mean like the company at the time that I worked for, I just cut a huge part of my budget over to the PR team to go explore this little influencer thing that people were doing. And I remember cutting a check. I was started digging because I wanted to see what we got for the money that we spent. And we ended up paying an influencer about $10,000 at the time to take a trip to one of our resorts with his daughters and to eat at our restaurants and take pictures and blog posts and all those things. And again, I just started doing the math in my head. I'm like, first of all, half of people in the country like don't even take the vacation that they've earned. Secondly, most of them couldn't afford to take this vacation. Third, this man is not a celebrity and was paid $10,000 to take a vacation off of my budget. And what really messed with me was at the time, I was fighting for a $10,000 raise. So as I was doing the math in my head and I was like, well, first of all, I know I can do that because I'm like i the one that's judging whether or not what he's going to do is effective or not. And I just started really thinking about it. Even just doing that was one trip would have been more than what my rental property at the time was earning on an annual basis. So it was like, if I could do that for one day and I've got 364 other days to figure out how to do that five, six more times, I'm pretty confident that I'll be able to do it. And that wasn't that one thing. It's not like I just said after that, I'm just going to quit my job. What it did was it forced me to realize that there were, to Kirsten's point, you have to look at your income very differently. And most people don't they don't get that feeling because they only, they're one trick ponies. So many of us are one trick ponies. I only know to work hard, to go back, to get some other credential, to then ask someone for another raise, yes. as opposed to thinking more entrepreneurially. And that can look any number of ways. Because even when you say that, most people think big. It's like, it's like I'm asking you to create the next meta. It's like, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm asking you to solve a simple problem that can be done in an almost an infinite number of ways, but they can't wrap their heads around it because we are so almost like drunk off of paychecks and the consistency. It's just lured us to sleep uh, yeah. to the point where we just, we miss out on so many of the other opportunities that we could undertake with very minimal effort. And I think that's that, that was one of the earliest things for me to say, you know what, there's more to life. And at that point, I was just like, all right, I'm either going to keep begging these people for a $10,000 raise, which I still <laughs> got to pay taxes on, or I'm just going to bet on myself. And wait all year for it. Do you think you mm-hmm. are the dope person that you described on LinkedIn? Yes or no? If you are that person, then prove it. And that was what it brought down to for me. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think what happens for a lot of folks in marginalized communities is that because we come from households where maybe there just wasn't a lot we are programmed to believe that stability is equivalent to success. Mm-hmm. And so once you've reached that place and you find yourself like me, where I'm like, okay, I got the six-figure job. I got the million-dollar pension. Why am I fucking miserable? We have to start asking ourselves more existential questions on what we are doing with our lives, right? And I think more than just a, like a personal finance movement, I feel like financial independence and the whole movement around it is really about using money to design your ideal life. Yes. You really want to get super, you know, metaphysical with the with this. Absolutely. Yeah, right. we I, we offer people guidance on some questions to ask themselves when they're thinking about quitting their job. Like how do I know when it's time to quit? Like beyond just the numbers and the math because we know that ain't enough for a lot of people. You can have plenty of money and you still won't quit. But one of the questions that we ask people to ask themselves is what is this job? Who is this job teaching me to be, right? Mm. Who am I becoming the longer I sit at this desk, the longer I play by these rules, the longer that I feel like my success is, you know, in Karen from accounting hands, <laughs> like who am I teaching myself to be? Like, who am I becoming? And that's a really important element to all of this, right? Like I'm not doing everything that I'm doing because the goal is to hit a number or to get closer to an age where I have to do nothing. It's because of who I get to become while I've done it. And that's a totally different lens to view life in and to view earning in. And it's the ones that a lot of 
white men have told us this is the way you should view it. Like, just do what you're passionate about. Right. Like, that's what translate. <laughs> follow your dreams. Yeah, follow your dreams. <laughs> this is what they were trying to say, but they couldn't say it because they hadn't been on the other side yet. Like, mm. you've never, you've never experienced the alternative, and so. I think there's something to just kind of also unlearning a lot of the stuff that you've been told to make room for this new set where your voice becomes the loudest in your head. And that's an awkward transition. It's almost like adult puberty. Where you're <laughs> learning like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> like I'm changing. I feel I have different feelings about whether a thousand dollars is a lot of money or $10,000 is a lot of money or a million dollars is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And it's very weird and off-putting, but it's like, yes, welcome. Welcome to the next yeah. level. Like, welcome to the thing that you've been reading about from all the gurus for a long time. Like, this mm-hmm. is what it looks like for you. So one of the concepts that struck me from your book, one of the many, but the one that was like, holy fucking shit, if this book exists just to talk about this, this is brilliant. And it's the 15-year career. Talk us through, first off, where the concept for that came from and how you break it down so that you can start to visualize what those different phases look like. Yeah, the concept came from a question that we got from a reporter. And it was actually a response that we gave to a reporter because she was questioning the merits of the FIRE movement. And what we're asking people to do is, is quit their jobs. And it's like, no, what we're asking people to think about is how long should a career be? That's the question that you have to answer, not whether or not you should be working or not working. It's how long should a career be? And so when we came up and we started thinking about that, we came up with a round number, 15 years. And that's mostly based on the accepted levels of tenure that we apply everywhere else in our society. Mm -hmm. We say that for early education, roughly takes about 12 years to get the basics of how things work. If you want a graduate degree or a specialized degree, okay, that's another four years, maybe eight if you want to be like a neurosurgeon, right? If you're married, around year seven is about the time where things start to get a little, you know, iffy. Like that's an eternity. And you meet somebody who's been married more than 15 years, like, damn, like, (laughs) wow, good on you, right? So careers should be held in that same vein where it's like, how long are you agreeing to participate in this power dynamic? And so the way that we broke it up is in three five-year kind of increments. The first five years of your career, whenever you started, this could be you starting a career at 24 or you restarting a career at 45. The first five years is about frugality, about learning how to live on less, defining your enough number and being very specific about how you can survive at this level without, you know, going above and beyond, paying down your debt. All the things that you need to do in the first five years is about frugality and building a solid financial foundation. The second five years is about skills acquisition and using what your company offers to grow your skill set. So what corporate America does do a great job at is training. They're an excellent training ground for creating the world's best marketers and salespeople and accountants. They give you access to professional development and workshops and conferences. They allow you to build soft skills and meetings and conference calls. And, you know, there's a lot of on-the-job training that happens. So your second five years is focused on that and really honing in on an expertise. And then your third five years is about learning how to monetize that expertise outside of your office. Learning what the going rate for your skill set is in a market that isn't just your employer. So it's applying for jobs. It's setting yourself up for contracting. It's participating in the creator economy or the freelance economy, whichever one is your bag. It is learning like, okay, outside of the constructs of this nine to five, what is this thing worth? And it's probably the most important step. So many people do not do this. They get stuck in that skills acquisition, becoming a company person, and you basically become a mascot for whoever you work for instead of someone who took those skills like your CEO does and leaves with a nice little golden parachute and gets a new bag somewhere else, right? So it's really about kind of compartmentalizing your career the same way you do your early education. You know what elementary school's for, you know what middle school's for, and you know what high school's for. Like that last 15 years, if you decide, the last five years, if you decide to stay, that's totally fine, but you're no longer beholden to your employer. By that point, you have come up with multiple streams of income. You have a plan B. You can walk away once you go through your eighth reorg because it's like, I'm just too tired to train another person on how to do the job that I've been doing and not getting paid for for 20 years, right? <laughs> so like, it's just a matter of, of just rethinking the relationship and removing it and kind of 
decoupling it from a part of your identity. You're there for a season and then that's it. Yeah. Mm. And the only thing I would add to that is so much of this is really just about regaining power back. Right? Yes. Like we've given so much power to managers and employers that we've allowed them to dictate so much of our lives. And so by following that framework, what you're really doing is you're putting yourself back in a position of control. So to Kirsten's point, like if you want to stay, then stay. That's totally up to you. But you're staying because you want to stay, not because you have to stay, not mm-hmm. because your family's livelihood is reliant on you staying and therefore you are now forced to potentially deal with stress and mistreatment and being maybe underutilized and underpaid and all of those things, which is the unfortunate reality for so many people. So it's about helping people or teaching people how to build an exit ramp so that they can like cash out before they're kicked out, if we're being honest. Yeah. About the investing that happens along the way. Right. (laughs) Obviously, along your 15 year career, outside of maybe the first five years where you're paying down debt and just aggressively being frugal, you know, the latter 10 are about investing the entire time, right? Mm -hmm. Invest for 10 years heavily in your skills, in the market, in real estate, whatever you decide to do. But to us, that's the viable framework. And what's been interesting is as people have read advanced copies, they're already placing themselves in the 15-year career. They're like, oh, okay, (laughs) I'm on year seven. So that means that in three years, I need to be doing these things. And it's like, you don't have to wait for three years. The examples we give in that chapter, it didn't take them 15 years at all. It took Mm -hmm. them nine, took them 10. It took us, you know, 11 and 12. Like, we don't have to wait. Go for it. That's true. I was uh, reading that part and I'm like, oh, shit. I was 14. So I'm right there. I'm like, I started, this is I, I know. And I started to reach out to you. Um, <laughs> you know, we reached out to you for other reasons, but yeah. um, the more I kept thinking about that number and I was like, I think that's the right number. Right? <laughs> at the end of the day, people also, and we've, we've come to learn, it's like every, they want an answer to the question, yeah. right? And this was like, all right, well, if I know that I can hit you with another sort of, well, it depends. Uh, you want an answer, 15 feels right. But yeah. the examples that we've given we're all done before 15. We were all done before 15. Like, let's say, do your bit. <laughs> get, yeah. get in and get out. Because again, what you don't want to do, you don't want to be the person that is kicked out, right? Like you want to be able to maintain your integrity. You don't want to have to heal from a departure. You know what I mean? Like that is embarrassing. It's disruptive. It can yeah. be dangerous. Even just from a protective standpoint, I think it's really important that people put themselves in a position where they're protecting themselves from mistreatment or downsizing or like any reason whatsoever that could be interrupting their, their employment. Are you part of the 80% of people who hate their job? If you're like a lot of people who got their first taste of remote work during the pandemic and now you want that to be a permanent lifestyle option, listen, I absolutely understand why you feel that way. Remote work changed my entire life. Being able to work from anywhere, earn money from anywhere, decide where I wanna live without being chained to a desk is so powerful. And that's exactly why I created the Freedom Summit, a virtual six day event that's happening this month. June 20th, the party starts. We're gonna be talking all things remote work and remote living. So if you wanna spend more time with your friends and family, save money on commuting, pivot out of a career that has you feeling overworked and underpaid, you wanna learn how to translate your existing skills into an in-demand career that makes bank, maybe you wanna start a side hustle that you can do from anywhere, you wanna have the most flexibility that you can to create the perfect work-life balance, you need to be at the Freedom Summit that starts on June 20th. You can grab your ticket at yoquierodineropodcast.com slash freedom. That's yoquierodineropodcast.com slash F-R-E-E-D-O-M. And we're going to teach you exactly how to make that pivot into remote work. If you've ever wanted to explore what it's like to be a digital nomad, you want to work overseas, you want to start a digital side hustle. We are talking about all of that and more at the Freedom Summit. So I want to see you there. YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash freedom. The party starts June 20th. And right now you can get your early bird ticket if you purchase by June 10th. We are saying goodbye to stressful offices, wasted time on commuting, fixed schedules that don't allow for any flexibility. We're gonna show you exactly how to manifest a remote work life. YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash freedom. I'll see you there. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash dinero. I think the pandemic was a huge wake up call for a lot of folks who really thought that they were safe and that they oh, yeah. got the stable job. And, you know, my job loves me. They would never get rid of me. They would never fire me. And it's just like, y'all, like at the end of the day, these folks are beholden to stockholders. If you work for a publicly yeah, yeah. traded company, you just don't fit the numbers. Like it don't matter It don't how much your boss matter. loves you. Like your boss, your boss is not your friend. Your yeah. boss is not your friend and it neither are your coworkers. The company is, it don't matter. We're seeing that right now with these massive tech layoffs, right? And a mm-hmm. lot of people who join these companies during the great resignation or even before that were super excited about their really high salaries. They bought up all the houses at really high prices. And now they're learning that like, oh, I could I can't count on this money for the rest of my life. Like mm. I made plans assuming I would always earn this or more for the rest yeah. of my life. And it's like, well, no, that's just yeah. not that's not how it Sorry y'all. Sorry to burst your bubble. Works. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think that, you know, th- I feel like there's a big push for entrepreneurship and especially with the digital aspect of, you know, access. Do you think that this is the death of corporate America? If we tell everybody to go start a business, like what happens? I think corporate America gets more efficient, actually. So yeah. when I start to think about what you get me excited here, start thinking about <laughs> what the next layer of this conversation is, but I mean, that. You know, if you're talking to an HR profession, right, there is welcomed attrition, right? Corporations don't want to hold on to a bunch of people who aren't motivated either. You know what I mean? And so I actually think it's a good thing. And even when I reflect back on my own experience, like the richer I got while I was employed, the better I became, right? Because I, I had stripped away the need to do any of the politicking or any of that stuff. And I was just focused on the work, focused on moving the needle, Right. And I actually found that I was a far better worker. Me too. You know what I mean? And so I, I think that a lot of people might experience the same thing, which is why so many of them end up leaving long before they even hit the 15-year mark. Because I think when you are or have achieved a certain degree of financial independence and that load and that pressure is off of you, you all of a sudden you're, you embrace certain risks. You're willing to say certain things that you may not have said before. You got the time freed up to dive deeper into certain subjects. You get sharper in things and that leads to you being more productive and so on. And so I think that I don't believe it's the death of corporate America, but I think it's certainly 
the beginning of a change in terms of what that relationship looks like, what organizational structures may look like in the next 10 to 20 years. It, it might be sooner than that <laughs> if Gen Z is popping off the way that they are. And so it's it's really interesting. But um, again, like so many people, we, we, we admit this to ourselves privately, right? We talk about how much this is just it's BS and like, yeah. I could do this job in my sleep and I wish I didn't have to do any of the meeting stuff and the corporate culture stuff and the forced fun stuff. And it's like, we all know that 30 to 40% of it is like just fluff, right? Yep. And so I think that, that what this does is it forces us to actually have the conversation and say, all right, well, what can change? What parts of what we've created can just fall to the wayside? And then we can reevaluate what the nature of this relationship looks like. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, you know, and I think it's difficult to do now because the language hasn't evolved. There is greater freedom we know in what we think of as contractors. And I think that that's much more like what I think things will start to look like. There'll be fewer and fewer true just employer and employee relationships and much more, you have a skill set that I value. Here's the price that I'm putting on it. However you get it done without any of the other layers, I think is what's going to work. And we see, again, tech companies taking advantage of these flatter organizations that are based on individual and even like collective contribution. And so I, I think that's where things are going to go. Yeah. And, it's, and we see other countries already doing it. Other right. wealthy nations already have this agreement of like employer contracts, right? You, you don't have this lifetime job. It's right. when you get a job, it's a contract. You agree that you get August off, you get nine months maternity leave. It's yeah. It's no identity thing. It's like, okay, this is what I'm doing for money this yeah. for the next three years or four years or however long before I renew. So I think the model will change itself. I don't think corporate America is going anywhere because it's too closely linked to our government. Like mm-hmm. they need the taxes. They need like, they're kind of one in the same, which is a totally different podcast episode. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Corporate lobbying interests. And, yes. You know. Go and watch the Netflix uh, <laughs> documentary. About yeah. money in, in yeah, America because it's terrible. <laughs> it, it is. This is just how we handle one line item: human resources. Like literally, to think about think about what that means. Yeah. How do we pay our human resources in a way that allows them to be as efficient as possible for us? And I think this model of welcome attrition is one that hasn't existed before, but that they are probably itching for. Yeah, you know, my hope is that this country becomes way more contractor, self-employed friendly, because I think what keeps so many folks stuck is the things like the health insurance and the retirement and the pension. And it's just like, if we can decouple those systems, then it's like, what the hell is holding you back now? Now it's just you. Yeah. (laughs) And when you tell people who are interested in self-employment and contracting that what you're actually asking about is a pricing challenge, right? the same thing that our companies go for. Like health insurance costs what health insurance costs. The reason you think it's cheaper when you're employed is because your employer decides to take money out of their profit and pay a portion of it, right? Right. They could easily give you that money directly. They could easily give you that, give that money to shareholders. They get a discount because they're buying a lot of insurance, but it costs what it costs, right? It's just somebody supplementing it. That's Mm -hmm. the only difference. And so when you start to create your own businesses, you got to be like, all right, well, which client which project is going to supplement my health insurance? Which project is going to supplement my paid time off? Which project or client is going to supplement this? It's just a very different way of looking at it, but it's far more transparent. So when it comes to getting your power back, like Julian mentioned, it's nice to know how much things cost. It's nice to know that like, damn, some people are out here charging $400 for a teeth cleaning versus <laughs> if I flew to, you know, this state and got my teeth cleaned, still paying cash in that market, they only charge $60, right? It gets back to like humans talking to other humans and realizing that a lot of people would actually subvert the insurance and take your money directly. And oh, yeah. like, obviously not encouraging people to skip out on health insurance. I want right. to make that very clear. <laughs> I am not one of those fire people that says, oh, fuck insurance. Yeah, just run every day and eat apples and you'll be fine. (laughs) At the same time, what you know about insurance may be clouded with those same messages as everything else. Like you owe it to yourself to understand healthcare as like bill insurance, which is kind of what your health insurance is. And then like healthcare as a practice where you're actually communicating and talking to practitioners and asking them what's available for you. Mm. 
Yeah, it's really just about like, again, taking ownership of what you want your life to look like and being very intentional about what you're doing with your time, your energy, your skills, your money to create the options. Because that's what we're talking about, right? It's just options. Yeah. And that's what freedom is. Freedom is recognizing that you have a choice. Yeah. That's the simplest definition. And so without understanding that there are options, you're not free. Like, you want to feel like there is an option for everything, that you always have an alternative. You always have a choice. Yeah. So I would love for you to share what you hope folks will take away from this new book and why you think it's a voice or a narrative that has been missing or how you think it's a, it's a narrative that's been missing from the financial independence movement. I don't know that it's it's a voice that is is missing from the movement. No, it is. I um, promise you it is. It is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Just let you know. <laughs> I, and you, you, y'all would know better than I do because you're paying attention to the space. I, I've been a ghost for a couple of years now. I only check in if they ask me to. I we didn't write it for those people, right? Like we wrote it for professionals, people who I again I don't think have even heard of that space, haven't even heard about the movement, right? Which they, you know they got their heads down to focus on their jobs and trying to earn as much money as they can. But I think it's it was a privilege to write it because it sits at the intersection of things that are two of the most important things that I think that are impacting our community, which is wealth and the ability to earn wealth during what was the longest economic boom in our country's history. Like whether or not you were able to take advantage of your citizenship and gain your fair share of the productivity that was just created over the last, I mean, trillions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. How much of that was kept and retained by you? And so uh, there's the element of that, but then there's also just the experience of work, right? You cannot talk about money without talking about work and the process and what people go through in the process of actually earning the income that they get from work. And I think what this book does is it looks at both, right? Like this, it's great to have all of these rules of thumb, but Unfortunately, those rules of thumb did not factor in my Black experience at work, right? It's unfortunately not as easy for me to do any of those things. And I think what we tried to do was to bottle up what we know from our own experience and from the experience of others who have found this combination of these are the things that I'm going to do. I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and then I'm going to invest in these other things, be it a business or the stock market or some combination of all of the above. And because of all of those collective efforts, some of which are a bit countercultural, like we've been able to make generation, in some cases, multi-generational progress in an astonishing period of time. And, and we're not talking about crazy, crazy numbers that people can look at and say like, wow, like that's, I admire that, but like that's unrealistic for me. Like we're talking about true life-saving generation, community, family-saving money. And I think for a lot of our readers and listeners and viewers, like that's really all they want. Like it goes back to why we part of the reason why we called our platform rich and regular. Like I don't think most people are, want to be rich and famous and any other. They don't stuff. want no yacht. They don't want yeah, that. They want to be I'm able good. to ride one really when you that. want one when you want to. Yeah, like you don't need to own it. Yeah, because you won't even feel comfortable being around all the other people yeah, who got yachts. You know this about yourself. So <laughs> let's talk about how do we like what winning looks like, right? And it doesn't mean getting the big job anymore or just getting the big promotion. Like it means being able to walk away on your own terms with your integrity, with financial security or financial independence in your back pocket. And I think that is achievable for a lot of people. And uh, it's not nearly as complicated or costly as so many of us have convinced ourselves that yes. it is. But what we need is role modeling. And I think that's, you know, I guess my third way of answering that question is to say, like, role modeling. We just need to know that if I do this crazy shit you're talking about, I'm going to be okay. And mm -hmm. I think that's all people want to know. And so if more people like you, more people like us who are just normal people go out there and live their best lives and show people along the way, I think it'll do wonders for inspiring entirely this like this generation of people to at least consider alternative paths than the one that they lock themselves into. That makes so much sense, right? I know. <laughs> it's like, it's, were, uh, sorry, go, ahead. go ahead. You good. <laughs> <laughs> no, as you were talking, I was just thinking about how much has changed in the space, even in the 10 years that we've been kind of casual observers to, to participating, to becoming creators within the 
the fire space. And it's like, gosh, I remember when bloggers could still be like just white and anonymous, just like <laughs> out there <laughs> sharing That was part of what defined a blog in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. Like, like they, they hadn't factored in the fact that their blog would make them tons of money or get them, you know, opportunities either. They were just like typing into the computer. And I remember to your point about things being more expensive than you may think, like I remember having to save up $3,000 to make our first Vanguard investment because there used to be a hurdle. There used to be a it's minimum. Still there. It's still there. It is with Vanguard, but it's not with oh, yeah. many other mm-hmm. brokerage houses, right? Yeah. And even before Vanguard, the bigger houses had like $50,000 minimums, $25,000 And commission trade fees. That was fun. Right, right. <laughs> so like, it's not surprising that people are like, oh, no, I can't really invest outside of the 401k because that one's already free. It's handled. There's no minimum. There's no this, that, and the other. And it's like, there's so much education we still have to do to explain to people that even in the six years, seven years since I've been writing, it's changed. You don't need $3,000 to start investing. You need a dollar. In an app, yeah, <laughs> and like login, <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> yeah, fractional shares didn't exist when we started. Like, there's so much that didn't even crowdfunding and and way that all that like it just doesn't. It's very different now. And to Julian's point, it's a privilege to be able to like welcome people into the fold that may have felt excluded before. Like, no, you can do. It's easier now than ever. Like, you don't even have to save three grand. <laughs> like, it, took me, it took me three paychecks to save that up. <laughs> yeah. The access is unprecedented. And I think that's what folks need to remember when they get overwhelmed with like the overarching concepts that are a part of this space. It's just like, you don't need to do all the things now. You don't need to do all the things at once, but you should at least invite your curiosity into the conversation and see what you can take from it. Maybe you realize that, you know what? I fucking love my job. I want to do this forever. I'm making a difference, but I can also decide to squirrel away more money for when something happens, because it's not a matter of if it is a matter of when we can become disabled. Someone we love could become ill and then we want to take care of them. Maybe we become parents. And I'm like, you know what? This career I thought I wanted. No, I actually just want to stay at home and raise my kids. And just being able to make that decision is, the most powerful thing you can you can do yes and then be able to unmake it when you're done with the decision that you that part (laughs) again we're so we're so conditioned to think that our decisions are all high stakes and all permanent and it's like nah do that shit for like two three years (laughs) and then if you want to come back like we know the hurdles that we face as marginalized identities it's much harder to take breaks from the workforce like i feel like i always have to do the disclaimer (laughs) because somebody's like no but like it's harder but it's also easier than it's ever been. Like it's harder compared to a white male, but it is easier than your grandmother or your mother would have had to endure. Mm. So like you owe it to yourself to like keep pushing it further, like to keep taking advantages of the privileges that we have actually earned through all of our fighting and protesting and vocalizing the unfairness of the system. There are some privileges that we have earned and we don't want to be hesitant to take those, like take them shits. Ooh. <laughs> yes, I'm here for it. One thing that I want to touch on as somebody who is pursuing building wealth in a way that I just haven't seen in my own family is this idea of do we become unrelatable by being wealthy in our communities? And like, how do we reconcile with this and not let it be the thing that's like, you know what, maybe I don't want to do this because then everybody's just going to think I'm, you know, that asshole who made it out and didn't take anybody with them. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I have so many thoughts on this. We probably have we probably have different thoughts. <laughs> but but I, I think my primary advice is to not build wealth the way that you saw other people do it. Mm. Like, again, some of that is condemned. You don't have to be unrelatable just because you have money. Now you will be if you make money, your personality, the only thing you talk about, the only thing through which you see life through, like Yeah, you can make it an identity and become unrelatable, but you don't have to. So again, remembering that you have a choice and pursuing your wealth holistically, making sure that there's a holistic approach to mental health, to lifestyle, to giving and to earning. I think that helps hedge against this idea that rich people automatically become weirdos. Outsiders, right? It's almost like you stop belonging. That concern has held me back for so long. Several points in my life chose to pursue less because I did not want to create even greater distance between 
myself and the people that I held dear to, right? That relatability was really important. And it took me a long, long time. I would probably say up until a couple of months ago, probably as we were done with the book and I was thinking about from our perspective, how much of a monumental achievement it was, like in the context of a pandemic and raising a child and doing all of these things and starting another business and like quite honestly, like you you just gotta pat yourself on the back. I'm like, man, that was a lot. That was a lot <laughs> in a short period of time. But then you pick up the phone and you try to reconnect and you realize that people are having very different challenges. So listen, like I think it does make you unrelatable. But it's up to you to choose as to whether or not it's on you, right? Like mm. There's a part of your unrelatability that is directly tied to your actions, the things that you say. If you show up to your, you, you, you know if you're doing the most. You know if you show up to your cousin's house. In a G-Wagon? Like a million bucks. Yeah, you, you know. You know. They have every right to say that you a smarty ass. You know what I mean? They have every right to say it. Whereas if you don't play that card, you know, like then they're probably not going to say it. But even still, there's some people that it really doesn't matter what you do. They it just don't. saw you on, I saw you on the news and I've never seen anybody that I know on the news before. Yeah. You famous, doesn't matter what you say. Right? <laughs> so it is what it is. I, I just don't think that uh, people need to let that be the obstacle that stops right. them. Right. Like, trust, trust me, as someone who has overcome several, that's not the one you want to stop. <laughs> there, there are way bigger issues than your cousin from back in the day not being able to relate to you. Like, you, you know, like, don't let that be the one. It happens, but it's not the end of the world. And I think, you know, having been in, in this space for a little while, like people come back, right? They come they back do. around and you want to be in a position to help. And, and you know, that's one of the biggest perks, I think, of building wealth is like being able to solve problems that only money can solve. Mm. It, it comes at like very minimal cost to you, right? Like yeah. if you're the person that helped the team fix the bus so that they can make it to the Little League Championship game, or you're the person that helps your niece or this group of people study abroad because you know that that one experience is going to be the thing that helps to change their life and expose them to things outside of the hood that they've known their entire life, like. That to me is worth a little petty argument with your cousin. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so we uh when we were writing the book, our editor was pushing us to do a chapter on budgeting. And we were like, I don't know, ain't really nothing new to say about budgeting. Right. Spend less than you make if you're into categories then categorize it like there's nothing more to say we gotta go beyond that at this point yeah so we opted <laughs> to create an entire chapter on community because mm. it's something that comes up all the time where again we feel fixed in the number of friends and family and people who love and support us yeah we feel fixed that it's like the one that we were born into or the one that we've met along the way based on the institutions we participated in mm, school, mm-hmm. church work whatever it is and it's like nah you got to think about the internet completely different like Think of it like you would Tinder, where it's like every day somebody is swiping left or right on your content and trying to decide like if you're somebody they rock with or and you have and vice versa. And so there's a chance you haven't met your biggest cheerleader yet. There's a chance you haven't met your biggest supporter yet. There's a chance you actually don't need your friends and family to be your cheerleader in this endeavor. You you have plenty of other and you can just talk to your cousin about something they mm-hmm. rock with and that you agree with. <laughs> But, I love that perspective. Yeah, you don't you don't need it. So like, yeah, if you guys buy the book, the community chapter is what replaced the budget chapter. So if you're like, you can talk about budgeting. It's like, yeah, because we gave you some tips on how to meet new friends as adults. Yeah, stop trying to, you know, I mean, and we, I think we actually shared that literal example, right? Like with my cousin who just didn't tell me certain information because he didn't feel like we would support him or not. Mm. Like, All right, man, I, I hear you. And it hurt. Yeah, the, it chapter, hurts. the chapter starts with... Want to know how to ruin Thanksgiving? Like it's like a true Chris Rock. Like. I love it. We need to be able to have those uncomfortable conversations because at the end of the day, I think what we're doing by being in these spaces where we haven't seen ourselves is give folks permission to then step in, right? So somebody's got to plant the flag of representation and damn it, if that's going to be me, I'm fine with that. Exactly. Exactly. That's it. <laughs> I got other shit I gotta worry about. <laughs> yeah. Guys, this has been an amazing conversation. I, I cannot wait for folks to check out the book, 
If you don't know this already too, they have an amazing podcast called Rich and Regular and you can find it wherever you're listening to this. So please go and subscribe. Tell us what else you guys have in store. Cause I feel like, I mean, what is left? I just need y'all on TV at this point. Like when is the Rich and Regular show coming? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's actually what we're working on. <laughs> what we're working on. We've, been, we've been working on that. And so, so I'm grateful we have a new partner now, right? Like we were basically bound to confidentiality before we couldn't really talk about who we were working with, but we've pitched, we've pitched them out. We have a video series called Money on the Table. It goes back to what I was saying before. You can't really create mass change without mass media. And so, boom, we have an opportunity to work with great production partners who've done this, who've worked with multiple networks. I was exchanging DMs with them today about different content that he could use. But our, our goal, I want to do for money what Anthony Bourdain did for travel. Oh yes, uh, which is that is to, a vibe. Which is to completely do it in a different way, right? Like I think financial conversations on financial content have pretty much looked one way. And even when you think about what travel TV looked like before Anthony Bourdain did it, you know, no knock to Samantha, what's her name on the Travel Channel, but <laughs> it was very cookie cutter, right? Yeah, and it didn't it didn't appeal to everyone. I think. What Anthony was able to do was to dig deep into show places and motivations and reasons to go places. And it led people to consider traveling to places that they would have never thought about going before. And that's exactly how I think about investing or starting a business or, you know, hell, having an uncomfortable conversation with a partner or with a parent, right? And so that's what we want to do. We know that food is a universal language. It has the incredible powers to just get people to just smile and to try things that they've never tried before. And so we want to use that as a mechanism to drive and create change in, in our community. So we'll be pitching over the next couple of weeks, and hopefully we land a deal. I'm going to be very specific. I hope it's CNN or HBO. I love it. Put it out there. I'm I here mean, for it. Anybody <laughs> listening from CNN or HBO? <laughs> Yes. Tap in. Okay. Who could get it too? Who who, who, who could get it? But like, you know, I think, I think it matters, but um, but listen, man, it's a privilege to, to even be able to, to do what we do. I get to do what I love with someone I love for people that I I love. love. Oh, man. That to me is, is a, is a dream come true. And so I'm living that. That's what the kids call hashtag goals. Right. Hey, that's my life. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying this is literally what I get to do. And so I'm I consider myself very fortunate. Well, we are fortunate to have you here on the podcast and you having the presence that you do in this space. It's y'all are inspirational to me. I just want you to know that. And I know that folks who encounter your platform feel the authentic desire that you both exude to make real change. Right. There's a lot of like smoke and mirrors in, in the money conversations and a lot of loud personalities. I feel like y'all are just like the strong, silent ones who really know what needs to be said and when. And so I'm so glad to see all of your work continuing to impact all of the success that you continue to have and know that you have a forever cheerleader on this side of the mic. Likewise. Thank you so much. <laughs> <Like>. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, y'all. Thanks. Thank you. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. 
This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.